everybody. Welcome back to the Modern Mindset 365 podcast, the podcast that talks about building your mindset, making you more resilient, and uh, developing your willingness for the foundation uh, to survive. And uh, hey, I, today we're going to have a short podcast. I just wanted to throw this out here. I, I got a question. I get questions all the time. Periodically, I get questions that are in the realm of mindset. And when I think they're important enough to share amongst the masses, because I want everybody to get the benefit, uh, we do that. So I'll go ahead and read the question. And then uh, I got George co-hosting today. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Um, and then we'll uh, get to it. So look, I got a question from a guy who's uh, in the Canadian military. And he says, I am emailing today to ask you for your thoughts on leadership mindset and team dynamics as it relates to the military air crews that you encountered throughout your career. I should preface this by saying that I'm a second lieutenant in the, I won't say the unit, Air Force in Canada trying to become a rotary wing aviator. Before commissioning, spent three years as a reservist, uh, as a corporal, and then uh, also in the university and have been blessed so far in my career to have excellent mentors from both the Canadian and U.S. Special Operations communities. In between phases of my flight training, I spent about nine months as a uh, OJT on the job, candidate at our soft aviation squadron where I have done my best to watch and learn as much as possible. I should emphasize that aspirations aside, I'm not a member of the unit. Without all that being said, I was interested in hearing your opinions after seeing quite a few posts on Philcraft Survival that tip their hat to the folks that make up tactical aviation air crews and what you uh, think that their leadership is uh, similar and different in aviation environments, particularly in places like Canada where all pilots are officers and how they interact or integrate with ground forces to provide conditions for success. That's a mouthful, and I apologize, but that's the question. And, um, and I get it, and I'll outline it. So basically the guy's asking, hey, you know, with my experience with uh, aircraft crews and with uh, George's experience, how are they, they able to interact or integrate with ground forces, especially in special operations, in order to be um, uh, better operational units and leadership and mindset, team dynamics, et cetera? So, one, um, thank you for, for asking that question. Um, one, I respect the fact that you you spent three years as a reservist in the infantry in, as a private and as a corporal because that's very important to highlight because you know what it's like to be on the ground. And then when you're in the cockpit, in the air, whether that's fixed or rotary wing-based, you start to understand the perspective because you've been there and you understand it. And so even though a lot of your... A lot of your uh, uh, pilots, I think all your pilots are, are officers that fly. The, the cool thing is, since you have that background, and you're asking even this question, it sets you up for better success. In fact, the most successful special operations aviators that I've experienced from Task Force 160th were prior enlisted guys who were SF guys, who were infantry guys. Or hell, they didn't even have combat arms experience. They just knew what it was like to be on the ground and to be a grunt or to be um, in, in a line. And so they not only understood the tactical considerations associated with that, they had empathy for the guys on the ground. And they understood that they needed to build rapport, which is uh, one of the first things that I'm going to talk about is rapport. Rapport is an important aspect in building relationships with guys that you're going to interact with no matter what your place in the fight is. You could be in the stratosphere. You could be you know, five birds up in an ISR platform that has no interaction with the ground forces. Well, before that op takes place, if you're not interacting and engaging at the operational level with the guys on the ground, 
at a minimum with their staff officers that are making decisions, then you're wrong. And so building rapport just isn't checking the block and, you know, getting the check checklist out and then going down the bracket. I mean, you know, hanging out with the guys, going to chow with them, um, getting a sense for their operational capacity or capability, like going over and asking questions, saying, hey, I don't know a lot uh, about what you guys do. If you got some time, can you teach me your capabilities? And they'll outline it. They'll be glad to. Um, uh, every special operations unit is very good at articulating what they do, uh, especially when it comes to operations. So rapport is, is, is uh, very important. Did you see that operating uh, in the battle spaces that you operated in, George, the kind of interoperability between air and ground forces and kind of building that rapport? I did. I mean, it. you know, you go to the basic just like before jump, you know, the air crew comes out and it's always the same, basically the same air crew because we had, you know, the special operations uh, air crew there. So, you know, they were the pilot for the C-27, like every jump, you knew it was him or somebody else. The air crew, you knew who was going to brief you. You knew who was going to do the jump mass rehearsal with you uh, like ahead of time. You just knew who it was. And they took the time out to brief every single jump master on procedures, on emergency procedures. So over that time, when you're at those air meetings and then you're dealing with the, that air crew, you, be, you you get that relationship with them because they're right there on, on where we are on Bragg. So, but then on the other side, when you're deployed, you know, I'd, I was had an opportunity for about three or three and a half years to support um, – uh, Ranger Regiment, and obviously we use 160th. So any training we had, we we went to Fort Campbell one year for training, and all we did were we were doing you know fries, and then we were doing some other training. But you got to know that air crew throughout the whole day. So then when you went down range with them, you know they were in the same compound as you, so you saw them. You played you know poker with them. You went to chow with them. So you became personal with them. So when they, when you landed the when you got on the bird. Oh, you're like, okay, there's that dude. I remember him. And he, you know, it's like a, he's there. Everyone's like part of the same unit, the same task force. So you're, you're all intertwined, you know, all the staff officers to the planning. I mean, you're there. It's like a community. So you know, who's going to be flying the bird, you know, who's going to be the air crew, you know, you can trust those guys because you've trained with them day in and day out. So it's, it kind of, you get comfortable. So they're like part of the unit and I've, I've never had a uh, issue with anything. It was always a good time. So. Yeah, what, what I like about um, – because uh, aviators have kind of the option to do this, but what I like is uh, the aviators who brief the guys as opposed to, you know, briefing the chain of command. It's like when I'm doing a major operation, I want the guys who are flying the birds to give confidence to the to the troops. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want them to go to the commander and do their – or go to the JTAC and then do the, uh, the coordination – for air, I want them to come out and do an aircraft brief. I'm like, hey, I'm going to brief everybody, not just key leaders. Now, sometimes you're going to have to brief key leaders, and then the key leaders are going to have to brief their guys. But I like the guys who, because they built the relationships, are able to go out and then brief the men and then talk to them at the tactical level. I'll also say on the uh, switching topics a little bit on what else you could do is in the leadership capacity of this, when you're when you're looking to be a leader – Understanding your job is important, but understanding other people's jobs that you support are just as important. If you know strategically and tactically how they operate, then you won't be surprised when they do a flank or a bold tactical maneuver on the ground, and then you have to adjust. So it's important that you understand the tactics. And different special operations units operate very different depending on uh, who they are. And so Asking the question, you know, getting a right seat ride, 
You know, if I was an aviator in 160th, for example, if I was a little bird pilot, I would go with the guys and be like, hey, guys, uh, I, I know this is kind of a rare thing, but I'd say, hey, can I, can I uh, shadow you guys and see what you guys do and how you guys operate and get a feel for how, how you guys uh, do what you do? A great example of that is when I used to work with uh, Task Force 160th, we used to do uh, vehicle interdictions. Well, the aircraft were changing a lot of their tactics. And so when we would do our, our, our rural training and uh, isolated training, we'd have to sit down with those pilots and understand exactly how and why they were changing their tactics or techniques and procedures. And so when we did that, we had a good feel. It's like, hey, we have to do this maneuver because we're required based on the aircraft limitation that we have to do this. And so we'd fit the tactic to accommodate the limitations or constraints of that aircraft. And th- that has to be flushed out, at the, you know, whether it's a, a talk over, a rehearsal, and then actually rehearsing it tactically on the ground. That whole process is going to allow you to be a better leader when you're making decisions at kind of like the J level at the, uh, at the operational staff level. Um, something else that I'll say, you know, in, on the, uh, the topic is you asked about, you know, how to, how to intertwine uh, with these, those operational units. And one of the things that you mentioned was uh, mindset. And when, when, you're, when you're looking at mindset, special operations aviators in America are selected based on that mindset. They go through an assessment program, and I'm not sure how Canadian, uh, the Canadian aviation soft units work, but I'm, I'm assuming it's the same. So you're not, just, you're not just being assessed on your technical flying skills, you're also being assessed outside of that. Like uh, a lot of Task Force 160th guys go through, obviously, the technical aspects of flying, but they also go through a phase of their training where they're getting um, broken down and they have to know what suffering feels like and they're building this mindset. You have to have the same mindset as the guys that you support on the ground. When you're infiltrating behind enemy lines and you land a helicopter and the helicopter you're flying with gets shot down out of the sky, and you have to make decisions on the fly um, for the guys that are in the back of that bird uh, in order to support the overall objective or mission, that's tough. And if you don't have that mindset to begin with, you're going to be behind the power curve and you're going to be put in a dangerous situation that could affect other people's lives. Uh, let's talk about team dynamics. Um, you know, building a team is kind of the first step in the process of team dynamics. You got to build the team from the ground up. A lot of people think that you should assimilate and then shit's going to work, but that's not how it works. People have different personalities. So a lot of the times you have to build your team dynamics. What are some ways that you've seen, uh, George, of, uh, teams being built or being brought together, um, in instances where they, you know, they, they didn't get along. Ooh, so I've had a, you know, if I had both experience, I had great experiences and I have like shitty experiences where it's like, you have to take that extra time to like, I don't want to say babysit, but you know, take some extra time out for the the team to make sure everyone's getting along. And, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff we did, we had, you know, I, I try to like every day when I go into work, like it just seemed like in, you know, in, in SOP, you got a new team like every six months. So like there was never a time where I had the same people on my team for more than a year. So you're always getting like that turnover and you're getting the new guy or he was in a different detachment. He couldn't deploy last rotation. So he's on your team for this rotation. So it all is, I mean, it's, it's a lot of, um, 
personality management, you know, not everyone's the same. So you have to have a different kind of set of, you know, your, whatever your technique is for each person. And I think as a good leader, you know, you can't just put everyone in the same box. Everyone's different. You don't know their background. You don't know their, their family life. You don't know what they're going on, but they're all, they're still a soldier. So you still treat them the same, but you, you use different techniques to like, you know, change their behavior or get them to do what you want. And I think one thing is you just that team building aspect of it. I mean, cause you're going to go through a deployment, you're going to go through a training and you know, all that stuff you're traveling, you're getting hotel room. I mean, everything that day-to-day life is, but it's still going to convert down range because you're going to either be working on the embassy or you're going to be working the smaller teams down range. So that small team mentality, you have to keep that in mind, especially when someone doesn't get something right or someone gets in trouble, you know, they're still part of the team. You can't treat them like shit all the time. You don't want to like ostracize somebody. And then, cause that's, that's just bad for the team. I mean, if you see that, uh, early enough you can you know go to your chain of command and like hey this guy's not working out is there a way we can trade him out we had one person and uh it was just a like an emotional breakdown i mean this person couldn't brief i mean a captain on like some products that we were doing for this effort exercise it was fake and this person kept like breaking down and crying it got to the point where listen we're going to be going to you know sock your working straight for the, you know, the one star there. And I can't have this person up in front of somebody like talking to them and they start breaking down and crying because they get nervous or flustered. I just can't do it. I just, we just can't afford at the level that we were at, you can't afford to have somebody breaking down and, and, and it just couldn't, and you can't breathe somebody. I mean, it's, it's, so we got that person switched out. I mean, and it, it was okay, but you just got to know your team, like know your team. I mean, whatever, if you have a four man team to, uh, you know, whatever your platoon is, know each and every person, know something about that person, know their family, know where they came from. Know if they have a hobby, I mean, get involved in their lives. Cause if you're not, it's just, you're not going to know what to do. You're not going to have that. Yeah. You just can't be a leader if you don't know your, know your, your troops. So yeah, people are incentive driven, you know, we, we, people re- work off a of reward. Um, in, in, you know, patriotism is, is a reward. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the reward, that's kind of how we operate. So identifying kind of how people are incentivized can determine the path in which you create to get them to, to work for you or to work together. Um, I've only fired one guy as a team sergeant in special operations, which I'm proud of the fact that I've only done that. Um, because I, I, I've dealt with a lot of different personalities, especially, uh, strong personalities in special operations. But the one guy I fired, he, he just could not work together as a team. Technically and tactically, one of the most proficient guys I had, but he didn't blend together. And sometimes you're going to run into those characters or those type of the people who are just not good team players. And I told him, I said, hey, man, you're kind of a, a, a good loan operator, but this isn't uh, – that. there's a reason this is called a detachment or a, di- a team because we have to be able to operate as a team together. And so – uh, like like George said, I think knowing your people and uh, understanding their incentives, understanding what drives them is going to allow you to be able to influence them. Because, you know, being a leader is not just about leading from the front or setting the example. It's about manipulation. It's about how do you manipulate the people around you to get the the job done or the mission accomplished uh, and keep rapport up at the same time. It's very challenging. Uh, a, a lot of that stuff starts with flushing out, um, kind of identifying who's strong, per, who has strong personalities, 
Uh, one thing, the last thing I'll say on this is uh, identify who your informal leaders are. Your informal leaders, meaning the people who lead when they're not put in a leadership position just by default of their personality, are going to help benefit the overall structure uh, or the or the uh, competency of that unit. Um, because when morale does get low and you're not there to step up and stand up and say something about it, they're the ones behind the scenes who are keeping the unit uh, at, with a high morale, uh, with high proficiency. Uh, I, when I was a, when I was in uh, a team guy, just on a team, I was an informal leader because I didn't lack, like negative personalities or negative behavior. So I was the guys who that was more optimistic, that were telling guys like, "Hey, man, this isn't that bad. Like this is bad," and giving them perspective. And so I was often leaned on as an informal leader, or I was going to find that position anyways because it was just just in my personality. So identify who your informal leaders are and empower them. Make them feel good about the decisions they're making behind the scenes and that, that uh, you're recognizing that. Um, also on recognition, uh, it, it's important that you recognize the men and women for what they do around you. I've been on several different teams where the leadership didn't recognize we existed. We weren't put in for awards. We, we weren't recognized. And then our peers surpassed us. You know, everybody's like, oh, who cares about awards? Well, you do care about awards when you're getting promoted and then other people around you and other units are getting promoted because of those awards. It matters. And so people who go, oh, it doesn't matter, like it, it matters. And so recognizing your people, I mean, I used to put my my guys in for awards for dumb shit. I know. I remember coming up as, a, you know, private E3 and we'd go on these little, we'd go to Full Eagle in, in Korea and we'd do some, you know, some SIOP support to the Air Force security guards and I wasn't expecting to get anything, but, you know, at the end, my, my team sergeant was like, hey, you're getting the certificate of, you know, it was a certificate of appreciation or achievement, and then, like, a coin from, like, the commander. You know, it was awesome to me. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, like, I did, you get to give I me I put that, you in you know? for an award. Yeah, I did. And I didn't even get that same award. I got denied. I know. That's terrible. Oh, that was horrible. Anyways. Um, yeah, so I hope that helped, man, and, and thanks for the question. If you guys got, have any questions, feel free to email us at info at com info at com. I like when you give pointed questions because it's easy for us to get through the uh, uh, the, the content um, to be able to provide it for you guys. I got, one, I got one thing, like another thing that I like to do when I was like a, a you know, team sergeant or whatever is if you got a small team or if you can, like take that youngest soldier with you and, you know, take him to that, that staff meeting, take him to some planning meeting, let That's him smart. see how it works. I mean, because if you just keep them in the office the whole time and you come back and you're like, okay, we need to do this, this and that, you know, show them how it works, show them behind the scenes so that when they become up in that position, they know what to do. They know what to say and they know how things work. So don't keep your, your youngins in the shadows, keep them, you know, bring them, bring them out every once in a while, you know, show yeah. them how the planning, planning works. Cause planning is a big deal, especially in special operations. If you ain't planning something right, shit can go wrong in a heart, in a heartbeat. So, you know, take your guys and, and show them how everything works, you know? That's good advice. Get them man. out there, you know? Shit. That's good advice, man. You know? Uh, you got to get you fired up, man. Like I'm ready like, to go. Let's get, let me <laughs> just sign back up. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you tuning in to the Modern Mindset 365 podcast. If you guys want to contribute because we do this sponsor-free, you can at Fieldcraft on Venmo. At Fieldcraft, one word on Venmo, if you guys are interested in donating to the podcast. Until next time, I'll say it. Um, because it's just important to say it. You need to stay alert. And you need to stay alive. Oh, I like that. I like that. All right, thanks, guys. <laughs>